Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of Charts with Dan. Thank you for your patience. I was doing some traveling this weekend. I was actually traveling yesterday. I had planned to do the show, but there were some travel delays. Uh, and quite frankly, I was pretty exhausted just from a long weekend on the road. So I appreciate everybody letting me do this show or, or watching the show here on Tuesday morning. We're still going to talk about the box office this past weekend, and we're going to be looking at Morbius, which was the number one movie of the weekend. We all knew that it would be. But before we do that, as I've been doing the past several weeks now, I want to thank my partners over at Carbon Health who have been presenting this show since really, I think, the end of last year. And I'm so happy to be partnered with them because I really do believe in the mission that they have, which is to provide healthcare that is accessible and affordable to as many people as possible. There are an ever-growing number of Carbon Health clinics across the country, but you can also get the Carbon Health app, keep it in your pocket. You can use the app to get a virtual consultation and schedule it there. You can also find the clinic nearest you, maybe if you're away from home, away from your usual doctor, and you need to find a clinic on the road. Carbon Health is great for that. They provide so many great services. They did a lot of COVID-19 immunizations and COVID tests when the surges were going on. Hopefully we're in a period that now where that's not going to be as big of a deal. But if something should happen in any kind of the health arena, Carbon Health is there for you. I want to thank them as always for being my partners here on the show. So let's look at the weekend box office. And number one, as expected, was Morbius, which was the number one movie in the country with just over $39 million. Um, That was neither an underperformance nor an overperformance. When we talk about things like expectations and estimates, this really just hit right in that middle range. I think this is pretty much exactly where people thought it was going to be. It was kind of a boring story as far as box office goes in the sense that it made neither more or less money than was anticipated. It just kind of did what everybody thought sort of like the movie itself if I'm being honest one reason why this opening isn't ringing a lot of alarm bells and isn't a bigger story is that Morbius was actually one of those movies that was smartly budgeted the budget is around reportedly 75 million dollars 75 to 80 million dollars for comparison Venom's budget was 115 million dollars so when you have a movie that costs 75 80 million dollars of course you're going to add things like marketing promotion etc on top of that but when the baseline number is that low you can open at 40 million dollars and not have the story be that it's a huge disaster uh, in the way that it would be if, you know, Doctor Strange opened to $40 million, for example, because that's a $200 million movie. This is another example of why when you're talking about box office, you have to look at so many different aspects, one of them being the budget of the film. And even though this is a big tentpole superhero movie, it did not have a big tentpole superhero price tag. And it's probably a good thing that it wasn't a hugely expensive movie because reaction was not great. Critical reaction, very negative. I put my review up last week. Uh, I was not a huge fan of the movie. I didn't think it was a complete piece of garbage, uh, but I didn't think it was very good either. And then when we look at fans, of course, you know, the, the reaction's always all over the place. When you look at social media, etc., I saw from a lot of comments on YouTube that there were several people that enjoyed the movie. But CinemaScore, which does poll audiences across the country, came up with a score of C plus for Morbius, which is not a good score uh, for a movie like Morbius. When we look at you know the, the superhero type films, even a B plus sometimes is a sign that uh, maybe you didn't quite hit the mark. C plus is an indicator that a lot of people were walking out of that movie uh, not very happy about what they saw. And of course, there are, just when you go back at the records, financial implications. And when you look at the other movies on CinemaScore that got a C plus, we are talking about Batman and Robin. We are talking about Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Not necessarily the most highly regarded of superhero or comic book films. The good news for Morbius is that it is not the lowest scored Marvel film of all time on CinemaScore. It was able to beat out 
Fan Four Stick, aka 2015's Fantastic Four. So, you know, it's got that going for it. Also, not terrible news for Jared Leto. This was his second highest opening ever at the domestic box office. It was far behind Suicide Squad back in 2016, but I, I feel like even though Morbius opened much lower, that Jared Leto kind of comes out of this one cleaner because I know from my review and from other people that I talked to, he really wasn't the issue that a lot of people had with this film. Whereas with Suicide Squad, he was part of the issues that a lot of people had with the movie. So I think even though the opening is much lower, Jared Leto maybe not quite bearing as much responsibility on his shoulders. When you look at number three, uh, Blade Runner 2049, which opened to $32.7 million back in 2017. Then at number four, I actually generated this because number four is Panic Room. It's not the last time we're going to hear the name Panic Room on this show. It opened to $30 million, but it came out at a time about 20 years ago when they didn't really have character posters, but I had a Jared Leto character poster for all the other movies, so I just made my own. Plus, I just wanted to show you Jared Leto with braided hair, which is just one of the wonderful, enduring legacies of an actually pretty good David Fincher movie. Uh, And then at number five, House of Gucci, just from uh, last year, with a $14.4 million opening. So Jared Leto, often drawn to independent fare, awards fare, stuff that's not going to have this big box office bonanza opening, uh, and Morbius good enough to be his second highest opening of all time domestically. This is just kind of a fun thing to look at. These are solo movies, so Marvel solo movies that are not part of the MCU, but basically the first time you get one of these characters in their own solo film or a team in their own solo film, the biggest opening for a non-MCU Marvel solo film, first solo film, domestically would be Deadpool with $132 million, followed by Spider-Man with $114 million, then Venom, who might be in the same universe as Morbius? I don't know who's where anymore. Venom was at number three with $80 million, followed by Hulk at $62.1 million, and Big Hero 6 at $56.2 million. But you know what we do on this show, especially when we have movies that span back a couple of decades. We love to adjust for inflation. So when you adjust for inflation, these are the highest grossing non-MCU first Marvel solo films. Spider-Man back in 2002 at number one with an adjusted $178 million opening, followed by Deadpool with $137 million. If Hulk came out today, if you adjust for inflation, that would have been a $92.8 million opening. I think because a lot of people didn't particularly enjoy that movie so much, we forget that it had a really impressive opening. X-Men at number four back in 2000 with a $91 million opening, and then Venom hanging on there in that fifth spot with its $80.2 million opening. The reason that Venom's gross doesn't change when you adjust for inflation is because... The average ticket price back in 2018 when Venom came out was actually higher than it is right now while we're adjusting for inflation currently, or at least by the numbers that I'm using. Uh, So it would actually be a lower gross, but I decided to keep it where it was. That's the thing about adjusting for inflation. It just kind of depends on where you are uh, in the cycle of the movie-going ticket prices, and they're a little bit lower now, although they're inching up, but they're still a little bit low coming out of the theater closures dating back to 2020 and 2021. In case you haven't heard about it, there were some theaters that were closed for a while. Uh, Go back and watch the show. It's a very interesting period of time. So I guess the big question is, where do we go from here? We have a Morbius film that did fine domestically. We'll see what it does. If it takes a real nosedive this weekend, that could be an indicator of where we go. And it's facing some tough competition. We'll talk about what's coming up. This is a, a tough April leading into a tougher May. So if Morbius really has a huge decline domestically this upcoming weekend, that will inform things maybe even more so than its opening weekend. Sony is trying to 
to do something, and I don't even know exactly what they're trying to do. If you've seen Morbius, they, they're they're trying to do a, a thing there at the end where I don't even know what was going on. I'm not even sure the actors involved knew what was going on. Uh, but Sony, in my opinion, has done a very bad, sloppy job of trying to build a Spider-Man franchise. You sort of had the Andrew Garfield attempt with that Sinister Six that they were teasing at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2, and then they scrapped that. Now they're trying to do this, but this seems to sort of piecemeal and patchwork together. And I know people are saying, like, well, you know, the release was delayed because of, you know, it came out after No Way Home. It was supposed to come out before. Well, I get it, but that doesn't mean that your fix has to be as sloppy as it was in this movie. So I think outside of Into the Spider-Verse, ironically, which is the first one to really broach the topic of a multiverse in the Spider-Man universe, Sony has not done a very good job of building building its own Spider-Verse. I don't know where Morbius goes from here. I don't think you have a ringing endorsement to pump hundreds of millions of dollars into this huge blockbuster event like it seems they want to do. But if you decide to pull in perhaps some familiar names and faces from other movies or franchises, then you don't necessarily have to worry about this movie so much. It could be your Captain America the First Avenger or your Incredible Hulk. And I don't mean quality-wise. I mean the movie exists to help set up the further adventures later down the road, which did exponentially better at the box office. Let's look at the rest of the top five for this weekend. At number two was The Lost City, which dropped about 52% in its second week. Honestly, that is a little bit steeper than I thought. We talked last week on the show about the fact that The Lost City was driven largely by an older crowd and a female-driven crowd as well, which is sort of the opposite of the crowd for Morbius. So I don't think that there was a whole lot of competition there. And I expected to drop, honestly, between 30 and 40% because you often see that. It's a comedy. It's one of those movies that's going to kind of hang around for a while. You have an older audience that doesn't necessarily rush out on opening weekend. So to see it have that kind of typical 50-plus percent drop was a bit of a surprise for me and, and and I kind of have to adjust my expectations on it a little bit because I don't quite know if it's going to have that sustenance that I thought it was going to. The Batman in its fifth week dropped less than 50%, dropped 46% with $11 million. So it stays in the top five. It is very close now to passing $350 million domestically. It is currently the fourth highest grossing DC film of all time behind Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises and also Wonder Woman back in 2017 domestically, not globally. Uh, so the Batman's still hanging around and putting up some very impressive numbers in that franchise. Then we have Tom Holland sticking around, no pun intended, but not in Spider-Man No Way Home, in Uncharted in fourth position there. Another great hold. And then according to estimates that I've seen, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the movie, in its third weekend stays in the top five with $1.9 million. There was a big movie that we talked about last week called either Triple R or RRR, depending on who you ask. I saw varying reports that came out of India. It had a very sharp decline, reportedly about 83% from its first weekend to its second weekend, which is very unusual to see a movie drop that much that just shows that there was a lot of enthusiasm for that first weekend, a huge core audience that rushed out to see it, uh, and then uh, you saw a precipitous decline in its second week. Also, just a little bit of housekeeping for me to do. I was doing some research, and in my own defense somewhat, although I should have taken an extra step, a lot of the sources that I was looking at were giving me research on Indian films uh, under the title of Bollywood, and, and and I should have known better because, you know, when I heard this feedback, I think I've actually researched this before, and it just completely 
for whatever reason, I was just putting charts together. I didn't even think about it. Bollywood is not a blanket term for all movies from India. It, it does not cover every movie out of the Indian marketplace. Uh, and uh, and I inaccurately reported last week uh, the top five films coming out of India, their top five openings in the domestic market as the top five films out of Bollywood when that is, in fact, not representative of all films. It is a subset of films out of India. So I should not have used that blanket term last week for those films. The list that you're seeing now that I have appropriately retitled are the top five openings for films out of India in the domestic marketplace. So my apologies for using that blanket term where it was not appropriate. I'm going to do my best going forward to make sure that I try to do that extra bit of research, no matter what my sources say, to make sure that I'm representing things properly. When we look at the box office weekend compared to 2019 and also last year, 2021, uh, it was fairly flat compared to how we did last week. We're still running pretty far below 2019's box office, but still above where we were in 2021. This is basically when we started to make that recovery, when movies started to come out as we headed into the late spring going into the summer movie season. Uh, another piece of feedback that I've heard, and I just did not have time to throw it together for this particular week, but a lot of folks saying like, like, it may be more useful to compare this year's box office performance, not just to 2019, because 2019 obviously had Avengers Endgame, which was a once in every five or ten years successful type of movie. And, you know, I hear that feedback, and I agree with it. Um, it, it. It is a lot of work to sort of get an average number for all of the different weeks for a subset of years. I'll probably do 2015 to 2019. We're going to throw, obviously, 2020 out altogether. But I think I am going to go back and make one of these charts. So we'll have week one through week 52, but as an average of 2015 through 2019, which will be one line, uh, 2022, which will be a line, and then 2021. So perhaps more representative of the average business and not necessarily looking at the above average performance of a year like 2019. So that's a great piece of feedback that I'm going to implement. It's just a lot of legwork that I didn't quite have time to do this week, but there will be that change here on this chart for next week. I think that we have a chance to dip that number up if Sonic 2 performs well, if Ambulance performs well, and then if things hold okay for next weekend, I think that uh, we should see that green line kind of spike up a little bit. We'll see where it compares uh, to the average uh, for those years that I mentioned. When we look at the market share, and this is another piece of feedback that I enjoyed and, and decided to implement here for the show, uh, I put if there's a change in a share or market share, I have added it here to this graph. So when we look at the box office market share for 2022, these are all movie ticket sales, including movies like Spider-Man uh, No Way Home which carried over into the year we see that Sony picked up 1% of the market share probably driven by uh, Morbius which had a good opening but I think because it didn't blow the doors off you didn't see a huge pickup in market share Warner Brothers actually picked up the most this week it picked up 2% market share based off of the performance of the Batman really continuing to, to do well in the marketplace and rack up that total Paramount added 1% and then you see Disney Fox losing 1% uh, other films in the in the all other releases bracket losing 3% as the studio releases start to come in and, and uh, gain more money. And I think the thing to keep an eye on here for this upcoming weekend is Paramount and Universal. We have two wide releases coming, one from each studio. Are they going to do well enough, particularly when we look at Paramount with Sonic 2? 
How well is that movie going to do and will it pick up a substantial amount of market share? Let's look at the top averages per theater and number one yet again was Everything Everywhere All at Once. It expanded into about 28 more theaters. It's now in 38 theaters, still generating a huge gross of $28,382 per theater. As you can see, it pretty much tripled up Morbius, which was the big studio release this weekend, which generated $9,000, just over $9,000 in over 4,200 theaters theaters this weekend. The documentary Waterman in just 13 theaters generated $4,920 per theater for number three. Then we had The Lost City in its 4,200 plus theaters bringing in $3,400 per theater and The Batman in its 3,700 theaters bringing in just under $3,000 per theater. But you can see for those 38 theaters that are playing everything everywhere all at once, you're doing basically summer blockbuster numbers uh, for that movie and I think that that's why so many theaters like to be in those markets where you can get a licorice pizza or you can get everything everywhere all at once and be able to really rack up those grosses. It's great for your business. Uh, And you know, that does get watered down as the movie goes into wider and wider release. So the advantage of owning a theater in one of these select markets, everything everywhere all at once actually added to its total so far, a very impressive total. Uh, These are the top per theater averages of the year so far. Last week, the mark was set by everything everywhere all at once, which made over $50,000 in 10 theaters. Number two is still the worst person in the world, and it's opening back in February at $34,000. Then the Batman's opening weekend at $30,000 per theater in over 4,400 theaters. And then Everything Everywhere All at Once, its second weekend now is the fourth highest per theater average of the year with just over $28,000. And then at number five is Ahead's Knee in one theater back in March at nearly $17,000. The second weekend for the Batman is actually pushed off this chart by the second weekend of the much smaller film Everything Everywhere All at Once and I think that that's why it's interesting to watch this because you see a different kind of dominance on these charts. Looking at the top grosses for films this past weekend that were in limited release, this is 1,000 theaters or fewer Everything Everywhere All at Once uh, nearly doubles its take from last week as it continues to expand over $1 million in its second week. The Contractor starring Chris Pine, you'll see this on another chart. It was one of those movies that came out in uh, uh, not a terrible number of theaters, almost 500 theaters, but also available uh, for digital and streaming the same weekend. But it came in at over half a million dollars over the weekend. At number three is a film called You Won't Be Alone, which came out of Sundance. It is not released by A24, but it is perhaps the most A24 film of the year. In 147 theaters, it brought in $124,000. Not the kind of sensation you see with a lot of these type of movies that kind of have this underground horror buzz. I don't know if that's a product of the general audience catching on to the way that these movies are marketed, or perhaps just this one not exactly hitting those notes with the target audience. In its third week, Uma, starring Sandra Oh in 338 theaters, brought in another $118,000. And Waterman, which put up one of the best marks per theater, also number five on the limited release chart with just under $64,000. When we look at the top grossing films of the year so far that have never played in more than 1,000 theaters, the BTS special event is still at number one, followed by Cyrano getting close to $4 million at number two, The Worst Person in the World, which cracks the $3 million mark at number three, Umma advances two slots to number four with its gross over $2 million. That drops Radha Shyam down 
one spot to number five at $1.8 million. Right behind though at number six is Everything Everywhere All at Once with $1.8 million. I don't believe, and I haven't seen the final screen count, I don't think that it's going to go over a thousand theaters this weekend. It may. I know that it's slated to get what they call a wide release, but the definition of that kind of varies. Keep in mind, if everything, everywhere, all at once, at any point goes over 1,000 theaters, then it exits this list because it will no longer have been a film that was limited to the specialty box office. Uh, So something to keep in mind as we watch It's Gross. The 2022 Oscar shorts drop down two spots to number seven. The Cashmere Files drops down one spot to number eight. The 50th Anniversary of The Godfather drops down one spot to number nine. The Beatles Get Back, an IMAX event, drops down one spot to number 10. And The Tiger Rising is bumped off the list by everything, everywhere, all at once. Turning our eyes away from the domestic marketplace now, let's look at the international marketplace, which is every market outside of the United States and Canada. And Morbius is the number one film internationally with almost $45 million reported, followed by Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It gets a bit of a head start on its domestic run by opening in several markets outside of the US and Canada and bringing in $25.5 million. Triple R or RRR from India with another $21 million in third place, followed by The Batman with $13.4 million. And The Bad Guys, which is still not coming out here for quite some time domestically, uh, continues to put up some numbers overseas as it gets an opening weeks before we see it here in the United States and Canada. When we take the domestic numbers, we add them to the international numbers, we get your worldwide numbers. And Morbius is the number one movie in the world. $84 million gross in its first weekend. Keep in mind, that is roughly what its production budget was. Of course, it doesn't get all of that money. But it's one of those things where if you spend $84 $84 million to produce a movie and you get that back in the first weekend, that's a pretty good start. That doesn't mean you're necessarily going to make a lot of money, but it probably means you're not going to lose a lot of money. At number two, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, outside of the domestic marketplace even, still at $25.5 million, followed by The Batman at number three with $24.2 million, Triple R at number four with $22.7 million, and then The Lost City at number five with $16.7 million worldwide. Let's look now at the 2022 box office picture, both domestically and worldwide, and we'll start with the domestic numbers. Not a whole lot has changed here. As I mentioned, The Batman just below that $350 million mark. It will probably pass that. Probably actually has, as I sit here uh, talking to you right now. Uncharted, still the number two movie of the year, and the only other one other than The Batman so far to cross the $100 million mark. Scream is at number three, followed by Dog at four, and Jackass Forever at five. No change there. The Lost City moves up one spot to number six. It looks like it'll probably jump up to at least number four. I don't think it'll top Scream by next week, but probably a top five film uh, by next week. Death on the Nile drops down one spot to number seven. Morbius enters the chart at number eight, based just off of its opening weekend. That bumps Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the movie, down one spot to number nine. Marry Me Down one spot to number 10, and we say a sad goodbye to Moonfall. Fare thee well, Moonfall. You, well, you probably won't be remembered, but still, it was an audacious idea. Let's look now at the top movies worldwide, and there's actually very little change, just one change in the top 10, even as far as positions go. The Batman extending its lead at number one, now over the $700 million mark. The Battle at Lake Changjin 2 at number two with $636 million, followed by Too Cool to Kill with $411 million. Uncharted trying to broach that $400 million mark. It's at number four with $373.1 million, followed by Nice View at number five with $215 million. The Boonie Bears back to Earth 
at number six with 150 million, followed by Scream at 140 million, Death on the Nile at 136 million. And then this is a reported number. This was officially reported in, in a few different places. It was tough to get actual uh, physical uh, data last week, but Triple R or RRR. At number nine worldwide for 2022, the number that is reported is 120 million. I've heard that it could be higher, but this is the number that people were able to actually estimate uh, according to a few different sources that I looked at. So now a top 10 film from India on the charts. That bumps Sniper down to number 10 with 94.4 million and another Chinese film, Only Fools Rush In, drops out of the 2022 box office altogether. Let's look now at the worldwide box office for the previous 365 days. So you take today's date, you go back one year. These are the top 10 movies for that period of time. Spider-Man No Way Home will be on this chart for a full 365 days. I'm just going to go ahead and make that crazy wager. It's been in the market for 109 days. It stands at number one, double the number two film really, which is The Battle at Lake Shangjin with $913 million, followed by No Time to Die with $774 million, F9 with 726 million. We see the Batman there at number five. It's angling to pass F9, maybe even try to take on James Bond for that number three spot. It's got a little bit of work to do there. The Battle at Lake Shangjin 2 is at number six. Venom Let There Be Carnage at number seven. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is at number eight. Too Cool to Kill is at number nine. We have The Eternals, which was put back on the chart last week because we had a movie graduate out to the 365-day club. I'll have a couple things to say about that in just a minute. But one thing I did want to note is that should for some reason, uh, and this is not going to happen, but should the Eternals stay on the chart uh, for 365 days, it actually would be ineligible to join the club because it was not on the chart for 365 days continuously. It was eliminated at one point. It was brought back onto the chart because another movie aged out. So Eternals, despite being on this chart, is not eligible for the 365-day club, but it turns out there were some other movies that were, and there were some eagle-eyed viewers that pointed this out that I did not know. Last week, I said that Godzilla vs. Kong was the inaugural inductee into the 365-day Hall of Fame here on Charts with Dan, which basically means you were one of the 10 highest-grossing films in the world for a full year. There are actually two other films that should have been inducted before Godzilla vs. Kong. One of them is Tenet, which did last a full year, Year. I thought it didn't, but it, it actually did scrape by and hang on by its fingernails. So Tenet is a member of the 365-day Hall of Fame. Demon Slayer Mugen Train also a member of the 365-day Hall of Fame, largely due to the fact that it had such a big run here in North America in the earlier part of last year. And then, as we mentioned before last week, Godzilla vs. Kong, the third inductee into the 365-day Hall of Fame. So we have three movies there. Now, a lot of folks might say, well, wait a minute. Aren't there several titles from the Chinese market that would technically qualify? And the answer is yes. By the letter of the law, they would. However, when I was looking at sort of the meaning of the this Hall of Fame and, and what it would mean for a movie to make it, those were all single market films, uh, and they were all done at a time where there really was largely no global box office presence to speak of. Uh, China kind of had uh, you know, the game to itself for much of last year, and I just felt like the movies that 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 should make this chart are ones that are truly global movies that played, uh, you know, not just in one country, but in many, many countries. Obviously, you know, Demon Slayer Mugen Train was a massive hit in Japan, I think the highest grossing film of all time, but it also performed well in a lot of other countries around the world, and that's why it stayed on the chart for so long. So, yes, 
yes, this is a judgment call, and there are some people that might say, well, you should judge it by the letter of the law uh, and not, you know, the intent or whatever. But uh, listen, it's my show, and I'm going to do what I want to. Uh, and I say uh, that this Hall of Fame was, is for movies that were able to stay on that chart by having a truly global presence, not just in one market, but in many markets. And that's not to say that if a film out of China made a lot of money in China and then went on to other markets and did well, uh, that it wouldn't be included. It's just looking at this very weird set of data that we have from this very weird time that we've been in. So these are the three movies thus far. There are going to be more inductees as we go on. But Tenet, Demon Slayer, Mugen Train, and Godzilla vs. Kong should be and will be for the record books historically designated as the first three inductees into the 365-day Hall of Fame. Congratulations to all of you. Before we look at the various streaming services and all the numbers there, as always, I like to take a look back at a previous box office weekend. And this was very interesting because this has double relevance weirdly to a box office weekend 20 years later. This is March 29th through the 31st, 2002. The number one movie at the box office opening that weekend was Panic Room, which co-starred Jared Leto, the star of Morbius, the number one movie this weekend. That opened over 30, just over $30 million 20 years ago this past weekend. Ice Age in its third week was the number two film with $18.1 million. Then the Dennis Quaid baseball film, The Rookie, was at number three with $16 million. But at number four in its second week was the first Marvel vampire franchise, Blade Two, the number four film 20 years ago. So it's just so weird how this works. And of course, you know, the only reason that Morbius came out this week is because it was delayed because of the pandemic and then delayed again earlier this year because of the surge and everything. And after all of those delays, It just happened to come out on the 20-year anniversary of two movies, one of which featured the star of Morbius, the other of which was another vampire uh, in the same family uh, as Morbius. So it's just one of those weird coincidences of time that happens. The number five film, also a new opener that weekend, was the movie Clock Stoppers, which I I think is one of those movies that I vaguely remember, but like somebody five to eight years younger than me would really, really remember this movie and love it. That came in at number five with 10.1 million dollars so yeah just a very weird kind of synergy of time and box office there before we go let's look at the performance of some movies on different streaming services and we will start with amazon at number one is the amazon original series and these are the top 10 on prime video they don't give us any numbers but these are the top 10 things that are available exclusively on prime video the outlaw season one a new series and a new entry onto this chart at number one reacher season one gets bumped back down to number two but still ahead of the marvelous mrs Maisel season four which is at number three upload season two is at number four followed by the reality show lizzo's watch out for the big girls at number six is master and amazon original that was picked up out of Sundance. The Proposal, which has been on the chart for quite some time, at number seven. Hotel Transylvania 4, acquired by Amazon from Sony, is at number eight. The Protégé at number nine. And then another new film in the top ten, The Watch, which was a box office disappointment, but some people, at least on Prime Video, are watching it now that it is included with all of those other TV shows and movies. Let's look at what people are buying and renting over on iTunes, and no surprise here, Spider-Man No Way Home, still not available for rental, but number one in the purchase window, Moonfall, which did drop out of the 2022 domestic top 10 is on this top 10 it's available for purchase only and it jumps to the number two spot on the itunes charts sing to god i wish i knew what its numbers were based on like pvod rental etc this was definitely a box office hit but i have a feeling this movie made a lot of money that we don't see on the books 
It's there at number three. The Contractor, as I mentioned, starring Chris Pine. It was in theaters and uh, I think about 500 theaters this past weekend. It was also available for purchase and premium video on demand, which is the higher price rental. That was at number four on the iTunes charts, followed by Marry Me, which enters available for both purchase and rental. Death on the Nile, which is now available for purchase. It's also hit the streaming window. Jackass Forever, which is available also for purchase right now, also now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And then we have some holdovers from the awards type season king richard um i don't know what the curiosity factor is there but also that movie's just been hanging around so i think people just like that film it's a, i like that movie it's a good movie house of gucci at number nine and then licorice pizza at number 10 and finally let's look at the netflix charts if you've been watching me the last couple weeks you know that i measure these views differently even than netflix does instead of just reporting the raw hours watched i take the hours watched i divide them by the length of the tv series or movie and i come up with a number that uh, i call it the merle metrics but I've changed it. You'll see on this chart, it's PFV. It's potential finished views. And that, I think, gives you an indication about how much people are watching it beyond just the raw numbers because if you put a 90-minute movie against a 10-episode series, well, yeah, the 10-episode series is going to have way more watch time, but that doesn't necessarily people are watching it more or that they're finishing it. So these are the numbers based on my metrics, and this is a case where some people might say, well, then no series will ever be number one. Bridgerton Season 2 was number one, and I think this is a very interesting number here because we see hours watched 193 million hours watched a lot of times we'll see a number that high but because the series is longer that means that maybe not as many people finished it but you see potential finished views of 23 million which I've seen now I've measured this with a lot of different shows there's very few of them that have a number that high and what I think this says is that Bridgerton season two is a show that people not only watch over the series of a week or two like we see with a lot of Netflix shows this is a show where the audience that went to see this show sat down and watched a lot of it the first week that is a high potential finish view number for any series on Netflix right up there with a lot of their movies so I think that this really is informative because this doesn't just water down the numbers for shows I think this goes to show which ones people will sit down and binge and which ones people will watch over time Bridgerton season two to me looks like one of those shows that people sat and binged as soon as it came out the Netflix film Black Crab is at number two with a PFV number of 21.3 then the Adam Project which has been number one easily for the past couple weeks drops to number three with a pfv number of 17.9 followed by the first week of another netflix original movie in good hands the netflix movie rescued by ruby is at number five followed by the Netflix original movie Windfall with a PFV of 10.1. And again, you can see how this sort of adjusts for hours watched. Maybe my favorite series name ever, Is It Cake, which is a Netflix series with 48.9 million hours watched, a PFV number of 9.7, meaning 9.7 million potential finished views of the entire series. The Netflix original movie Without Saying Goodbye at number eight with a PFV of 8.7. Followed by Gemini Man. Again, how much of it is the curiosity factor? Two Will Smiths, one potential finished view number of 8.4 million. And then at number 10, the Netflix series Bad Vegan with a PFV number of five. I'm really liking this new way of measuring Netflix. I think it sort of contextualizes the number. And again, it's not a perfect system, but measuring it solely by the raw hours watched, I think is an even more imperfect system. This is a little bit of an adjustment, but you know, I'm not saying these are the most accurate numbers in the world, but I think it may 
just be a little bit of a better indication of what people are actually sitting down and watching and what just gets a good advantage because there are a lot of episodes with a lot of runtime. And that does it for this week's show. Thanks again for your patience as I put this up on Tuesday morning. A big weekend here. I'm actually expecting big things out of one of these releases, and that is Sonic the Hedgehog 2. This has been a really interesting progression of this series because it went from completely turning off the hardcore fans of Sonic the Hedgehog with the design. They go back in, they redesign Sonic. The movie does well just as the pandemic is starting in 2020. I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog got in just under the wire. And here now, we have a sequel that is leaning into everything the fans love. We have the characters that look like they stepped right out of the video game. You know, we have Robotnik completely redesigned to look like the video game and Tails and Knuckles. So we have something that's just like, we want to be different from Sonic to we're leaning into what works about Sonic. And it seems to me like there's a lot of buzz around this movie. Early reviews uh, have been fairly all right. When you go by video game movies, they've been raves. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. I was a Sonic player. I enjoyed the first movie. I thought it was cute, and I think that they may be going some interesting places. So I'm actually expecting a lot out of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 this weekend. I think there's a lot of people, kids and adults, that are going to go see this movie. Also, another interesting one, Michael Bay's newest movie, Ambulance. Another film that has gotten reviews at the beginning, again, by Michael Bay standards, are pretty damn good. Uh, I'm interested in seeing this film. You have a lot of great acting talent attached. You have a smaller story from Michael Bay, and people forget that he has made some great movies in the past. I'm looking forward to seeing that one and reporting back. Everything, everywhere, all at once, also expanding. I don't quite know how big that expansion is going to be, and I am praying that it is going to be here somewhere near me because when we look at the rest of this week here on the channel, I can guarantee you, because I already have tickets, that you will be getting a review of Sonic the Hedgehog 2, probably on Thursday night, and then Ambulance either later on Thursday night or probably more likely Friday morning. I'm going to be seeing those back-to-back. My hope is that I will also be able to bring you a review of everything, everywhere, all at once. I just don't know yet. I'm, I'm checking the times every single day to see if it is going to expand to a theater here. We have a few different chains, one of which, a couple of which actually are pretty good about getting that sort of first wide wave of new releases. We had Uma. We have movies that it seems like are going to be, you know, like the Jujutsu Kaisens uh, in that same realm that I think everything, everywhere, all at once is going to be. I'll be very disappointed if it doesn't come here this weekend, but if I can see it at all, I will promise you that I will have a review for it this weekend here on the channel as well. So up to three movie reviews uh, for movies that I'm actually looking forward to seeing coming up this week. Also, if you're looking for some other entertainment options, there's a documentary about the band AHA. It's called AHA the Movie that has gotten great early reviews. So if you're a fan of 80s music or uh, pencil-drawn music videos, then perhaps AHA the Movie might be for you. Check your local listings. And then a film that came out in Canada and actually won, I believe, a César, which is the French equivalent of the Academy Award uh, for Best Actress, called Aileen, which is uh, they credit as a fictional film freely based on the life of Celine Dion. That hits theaters here, uh, select theaters here in the United States this week after playing in Canada already uh, a bit last year. So a, a wide swath, a wide array of options for you this weekend if you're looking for something to check out. Thank you so much for checking me out here on the channel, and I also want to thank my partner partners at Carbon Health for their support uh, and partnership. 
I will be here, as I said, uh, a, a few more times, hopefully, this weekend with reviews. We are getting into the busy movie season. I was just looking at the release calendar uh, this afternoon, kind of sitting, trying to plan some things out. We've got uh, Sonic and, and Ambulance this week. We've got uh, Fantastic Beast 3 uh, the week after. We're leading into Doctor Strange. Then we're into the summer movie season. Believe it or not, I'm going to be doing my top 10 list for the summer movie season very soon. Uh, it's crazy. It seems like we just wrapped that up, but we are ramping up to hopefully another hearty summer movie season even better than last year's thank you so much for watching me here on the channel if you want to see even more of what i'm up to you can check me out on patreon at patreon.com slash dan merle i just readjusted the pricing down for all of my tiers you can become a member for as low as two dollars i also have a five dollar tier and a fifteen dollar tier which come with a bunch of different things and i'd love to have you come and join the community there thanks so much for watching stay safe out there and i'll see you next time bye